Good morning, everybody. Hi. I'm going to be talking a bit about stewardship this morning and about the resources that God has given us. So you'll see there's a picture of some money, some food, and, and the people who God puts around us, our family. Um, I thought, let me see if the clicker thing works. There we go. For those of you who can't see this, uh, it says at the bottom, this was the best sermon on giving I've ever heard. And you can see that the guys coming out of the church are not wearing an awful lot now. Um, I wanted to say that this isn't that, hopefully, <laughs> you may fail to find this is that sort of sermon, but I suspect it isn't for you. This is not about uh, the sort of preach where uh, you, you can listen and you're feeling forced into uh, into giving uh, in a way that is uncomfortable for you and may leave you without any uh, trousers or top on. Um, What we're talking about today is stewardship. And what I want to start with is the fact that it all begins right at the very beginning when we're talking about stewarding the resources that God's given us. It actually goes all the way back to the first verse of the Bible in which in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as the creator, God clearly owns everything on this planet and around it. And therefore, stewardship is stewarding the resources which he has given to us rather than us seemingly having resources that are our own and separate from him. In fact, if we don't root it in understanding his ownership, we can get all sorts of crazy ways of doing things and and get rather lost. Stewardship's also about us working with God in using our resources to the best. There's a number of scriptures where it talks about God as the owner and us as the managers of things. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that, for we are God's fellow workers. He then goes on to say, you are God's field and God's building in terms of talking about the church. But there's a sense of God's fellow workers using the resources that he's given us. And in the New Testament, there are two words that are used for stewardship. So what you'll find is there's one called epitropos, which is about the manager or foreman or steward uh, who looks at things from the point of view of like being like a governor or a procurator and, or a guardian. So there's, it's used uh, for the guardian of children as well. But the more common word is the steward or manager or administrator, oikomonos. Uh, and this is more commonly used to mean those who have a, a stewardship role, have an administrative role, have an, a, a role of bringing order. And Paul particularly uses this in 1 Corinthians about himself and the trust that God's put in him about preaching the gospel. And that's the sort of stewardship we're talking about here, where it's a trust that God has given us that we can live out. So what was Jesus... Whoops, I'm going backwards. What was Jesus' view of the provision that his father had made? Well... Jesus has a rather astonishing view of provision. I don't know whether you've reflected on this at all, but if you look at the way he lived his life in the New Testament, he was never short, was he, of provision. And in fact, he did some quite crazy things. So here we've got the five loaves and two fish. Uh, Buy two, get 5,000. I thought it was more buy two, get 4,998 free, or... uh, or 
yes, <laughs> or various other versions of that. But uh, nevertheless, Jesus' view of provision from his father was absolutely astonishing. I, I was wondering as I was preparing this, why didn't he try out a few of these on the disciples? Like, let's just provide for the 12, you know, so they would have some suppers where, where Jesus just could provide from one fish on one loaf for 12 of them to have a go, have a starter. But he didn't, did he? He goes straight from nothing particular in this sort of realm to feeding 5,000 people, and it's probably 5,000 men and then women and children in addition to that. Jesus does not do provision in a small scale, and he didn't try things out. He went straight for providing hugely for a whole community of people. And only a couple of chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, he provides for a further 4,000 people in the same sort of way. Jesus has no problem drawing on his father's resources, even though that seems utterly miraculous. He also manages to get his disciples to find a coin from the mouth of a fish. In Matthew 17, 27, where it's, he's talking about paying taxes, and he, he, he says to his disciples, go catch a fish and get a coin out of the mouth of that fish. I don't know about you, but sometimes these parables go over my head or, or round me, and I don't actually engage with them enough and realize that on an ongoing basis, Jesus could find things anywhere. He could get hold of money from a fish. Now, why didn't he do a magic trick and sort of pull a coin out from behind someone's ear as a, an elderly gentleman I, when I was a lad? An, eld, a lad. <laughs> an elderly gentleman when I was about... Eight used to do magic tricks with me. I used to go around to his house. He did magic tricks, and one of them was pulling a coin from behind the ear. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't just look in his pockets. Jesus looks in a fish to get a coin. I wondered even how easy it was for fish to get coins in their mouths. Have you ever caught a fish and found... Has anyone done this? Caught a fish and found that it had a coin in the mouth. I imagine that's actually quite a tricky thing for a fish to do because coins tend to sink to the bottom and to be able to gobble up a whole coin would have been quite a tricky thing to do. Isn't it amazing? It's miraculous. It's unusual that he should do things in this sort of way because Jesus' approach to resources seems to me to be it's all available to me all of the time and I'll get it almost whichever way I choose whether it's miraculously making a load of uh, loaves and fish out of a smaller number of them, or whether it's getting a coin from a, a, the mouth of a fish, he seems to have lordship over resources, doesn't he, in a way that not many of the rest of us do. He also, the right-hand picture there, is the water being turned into wine. I think it was within the jars. That's a, that was a nice picture. I quite liked it. But it actually occurred within the large stone jars that they were using at the wedding in Cana where Jesus was a guest. But a similar sort of view of resources. That wasn't a very conventional way of doing this. He could have said, well, here's a bit of money. Go down the road and buy some more uh, wine from the local wine merchant. Or he could have done something else. But instead... He, in a, in a few moments, transforms a large amount of water into a large amount of high-quality wine. Jesus' approach to resources was miraculous and very, very different. 
And I don't know whether you've ever experienced that sort of provision, but it's quite an amazing, amazing thing. What was Jesus' approach to giving? I thought I had to put a picture of Jesus and get a football stadium in the corner there, by the way. So this is uh, the picture from Rio of the... uh, of Jesus and uh, the statue of Jesus on the top of the mountain there. Jesus' words about giving are amazing. I've got a few snapshots of them. Some of you may remember that last year when I preached, I I used a few um, shots from from a famous uh, sort of set here, which is the, uh, the uh, the Lego family here. So um, I've, I've put a few slides from Lego. <laughs> uh, last year it was Gideon, the story of Gideon that I did from Lego. This year it's the story of, it's a few of the verses of Jesus and the challenges that he brings to us regarding giving. So Matthew 5.41, he says, Give to the one who asks you, do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. So this is, this guy, it is a little American, saying, Hey Tom, mind if I borrow your car for the next six or seven years? Then we have, uh, in Luke's Gospel, he says, if you lend to those from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. And this guy's saying, they wanted you to pay them back? That's just wrong. And then there's, in Luke 6.30, he says, give to everyone who asks you. So this guy's now saying, it took a little time to move some money around, but here's that million dollars that you asked for. So, um, oh, and there's one more one, which is I, I particularly like. So this says, and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. That guy driving the car now saying, Christians are awesome. And this obviously reflects back to the Lego movie, the everyone is awesome. Everything is awesome when you're part of a team, which is the... Uh, the theme song of the Lego movie. For those of you who may not have seen it, I I had to go and see it quite early on. Uh, Very, very good. Um, On a serious note, if you actually look at these scriptures at the bottom and you think about the implications of them, it's quite transformative, actually. Give to the one who asks you and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. I don't know how that makes you feel if people were to actually put that into action or if we were to have an open fest of, of asking each other for things in the church. You know, one day we all said, let's have an asking fest, shall we? And we all said, oh, yeah, I'd like this, I'd like that. How would we all get on with that, really? I'm not, I'm, I may be over-egging it slightly in the way we would do it, but what would it feel like if, if you had people coming to you and asking you for things? I feel quite uncomfortable Now, clearly, this should probably be taken in the context of someone who actually needs something asking you for it, not just, I like your iPad, can I have it, please? That's that's perhaps not the sort of thing which we're thinking of here. But nevertheless, there is this prerogative from Jesus to give when people ask us for things. If you lend to those from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. I don't know about you, but when I lend things to people, if I lend them my vacuum cleaner, actually I took it round to their house and used it with them, with John and Kate this week, um, but if you lend to people, you usually probably expect to get the thing back again, 
what Jesus is talking about is lending and not expecting to get things back. How do we feel about that with the way we engage with each other in our lives or the way we engage with those outside of the church as well? Give to everyone who asks you. That's the same again as we talked about before. And do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. That's as similar as the lending, isn't it? It's quite a shocking thing what Jesus talks about with possessions and resources, isn't it? But then if you think back to what I was saying a minute or two ago, he was quite good at that because he, he went, oh, here's a coin in a fish's mouth, or here's, here's five loaves and two fish turned into a feeding of 5,000. But he's still calling us to be like that, even if those sort of miracles don't come quite naturally to us. He's still calling us to be those who are very open with what God has given us. And I think that's a particular challenge. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this in, in preparing. I think it's a particular challenge for our, our society where we're quite materialistic and, and things that we own are very important to us. How do we handle that? I think that's one of the, one of the main challenges. I'm just going to get myself some water because I'm talking quite a bit. There we go. It's gone very quiet when we talk about money and possessions and giving, doesn't it? <laughs> what a joyful message for a Sunday morning. Um, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians, and I want to look at this, uh, this passage in a bit more detail with you, because I think it's also... Uh, puts things in context of both God's provision and of our, the challenge to us to give. So he says, remember this from verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make to able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work. I kind of like that scripture. I'm one of those people who when you hear me read out scripture likes to read out the word all particularly loudly with emphasis. Uh, there's an awful lot of alls there and every as well, he's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, that's quite comprehensive in terms of his language, isn't it? You will abound in every good work. That's a really challenging, uh, provoking scripture for us there. But you notice there's an and at the beginning of that sentence, and that's because it's linked back to the giving. The giving and the provision of God are, the t- are, are interlinked here. So then it says, as, then he writes, as it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. And then, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness He's talking about the fact that not only is God's provision for us linked to 
the way we choose to give, but also that if we do give, he will actually increase what we've got to give. He's, it's increasing the seed, as it says there, your store of seed, and enlarging the harvest of your righteousness, which I think of as the, the impact, the, thing, the difference that you're making through your giving. So I hope you get here that there's this linkage between God's challenge to us to be cheerful givers, the fact that he will then provide for us, and the fact that he will actually increase what he gives us in order that we can be fruitful. This isn't a prosperity gospel about us giving in order to get and giving in order just to to become wealthy. It's It's a principle of scripture about us giving and God then providing more so that we can give more. He goes on in the same... The next scripture... Ah. Let me just try. There we go. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. That kind of doesn't really... There's not much that falls outside of that, is there, really? And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, this is talking to the Corinthians, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. This giving seems also to be linked to their confession of the gospel of Christ. So there's a sense in which the giving and the blessing of others is interwoven with their telling others about the goodness of God and encouraging them to come to know him. And in their prayers, verse 14, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I find that a really very provoking scripture, very challenging, but very good as well. Paul is being incredibly positive about giving here, not just because he wants more, but because he's seeing beyond the giving into the difference that it makes, both to the people who give and to the people who receive. It is a tremendous blessing for Christians to be givers. It's also not about the amount. So this is a crucial thing, because often in our brains we're equating giving, in this context I've just said, to lots, you know, oh those millionaires who could give millions, if they, if they did that, that would change the world. And Jesus is very clear about this back in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down, this is from verse 41, he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, which they must have gone, what's his mathematics like? They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. There's a different way of working in God's kingdom that isn't about 
numbers in the sense of it's not about the amount you give, it's about your heart and it's about giving in a sacrificial way. And I don't know what you're like, but I have moments in my life when I give sacrificially, when I'm challenged or when I feel provoked about something, but quite a lot of the time I don't give as sacrificially as perhaps I could. And I find that a big a challenge to me in preparing for this morning. Because she gave all she had. Um, that's another of the alls here. Another extreme statement about what this woman gave. It reminds me a bit of uh, Elijah going to the woman uh, to get some, get some bread. And she's only got a little bit of oil left. And he says, well, bake me a loaf of bread. And you think... You meanie. <laughs> Getting her to bake a loaf of bread when that's the only oil she's going to have and she's going to use it all up on your, your loaf of bread for you. But there's obviously something more there from him in understanding that she will actually uh, go on to be provided for in the sort of way that Jesus showed in, in his life and the sort of way that Paul is talking about. And there's something about God's supply to us in the middle of all of this that's just amazing. So that's kind of a bit of a backdrop, which is always a challenging thing, hence your quietness at this point, apart from a few laughs. The sorts of giving that you can do. Well, giving to the church, the wonderful giving to the church. We actually have something later on, which is a flyer which Andrew developed about how you can give to the church, because there are different ways you can do it. You can do it via text these days, and there's all, all sorts of stuff, which is quite interesting uh, that we can, we can give in that sort of way. But he's tried to put down some ways of giving there. I should say, this talk is not primarily to, get, <laughs> to force you to give to the church. It's to encourage people to give, but there's... Giving to the church is one of the things we can do, and we do that through tithes and offerings. In other words, giving a proportion of our income. We encourage people to give 10% if they can, and we encourage also other offerings that we have, perhaps for specific things. But basically, giving to the church will enable us to provide for the staff, like we were talking about Keith and Steve and Al the building that we've got, the resources that we use for various different activities. It also supports our missionaries, although I'm going to say a little bit more about them in a minute. It's an important part of what we do, and we're going to have an offering at the end, so I will leave saying much more about that. Oh, they, they, they're a bit chopped off there, just as supporting missionaries on this uh, slide here. So they're just an example of the sorts of missionaries we've got, um, so that I just thought I'd put them up because they've just got back from Africa having been out there to look at an area where they could live in future and be involved in the community, uh, sharing Jesus and also doing some practical work there. And they went to see the mayor of the town where they're intending to live. And he said to them, so why would you come here? What do you have to offer? And said, well, I'd like to help people to start up small businesses because that's something I think is really necessary and something I've got some skill in. He also then said, I'd like also to... Um, sorry, I'm just doing my shoelace. Okay. He, he said, I'd like to help people with water projects. I've been used to digging wells and, and I've got some of these 
pumps that were, have been developed for helping people to get what, drinking water out of the ground. And finally, I, I think that we've got some skill in making fences and fence posts to go around areas in order to help people to fence off land so that they can farm it. And the mayor of the town goes, funny you should say that. You know, we are... Um, We've just been doing a survey of the towns in this region of this country, and we've, we, we did this survey, and the, the three top needs of the town came out as starting up small businesses, water projects, and fencing projects. And you've just come along and offered to do all of these. Thank you very much. We'd love to have you. Um, and this was... You, you might imagine that this was going with some sort of trepidation to this guy, because the guy could go, turn around and go... No, I don't think we want you in our town. But instead, he has welcomed them with open arms because they've got the skills... I'm treading on my shoelaces again. This is terrible. They've got the skills for um, just what's needed for that town. Now, if you're going out to a fairly challenging environment and you find that you've got the three things that they want, does that encourage you that maybe God's called you to that place? I, I, I think it does. But they will clearly need support because those projects that we were talking about, aside from their own living expenses, those projects cost money. So one of the things we do as a church is encourage people to support missionaries. So they'll be going out as a family and we could support them by providing in, in that sort of way. And actually, if you provide money through the church finances, what you can do is specify it for them and we can claim the gift aid back so the tax that you've paid on that money can be claimed back. So it's quite a good way of giving via the church. So that's something we can do as in response to our challenge to be givers. Another thing we can do is the Oxford Food Bank. I don't know whether you've come across the Oxford Food Bank. Where's Suzanne? I can't see her. She's been volunteering with the Oxford Food Bank recently. Suzanne, can you come out here and tell us a little bit about this? I wanted to put in a few practical things that we could give to as part of what we're doing. Could you just tell us what the Oxford Food Bank is? I've, that's not right. Yeah, that, that's the Oxford Food Bank, which is... Um, is that not the one you're no, involved with? No, that's the one that oh. is actually in Botley. And, okay. Um, but they're the ones that get... Um, they're given fresh food. They've... Um, collect fresh food from the supermarkets that's, that's um, sort of not sold. And they actually distribute that mainly to family centres okay. who then cook meals. I nicked the wrong, wrong heading off the, uh, off yeah. the website then. <laughs> okay. Tell us about the food bank that you've been uh, um, volunteering in. I'm involved in is um, the Community Emergency Food, ba- food Bank, CEF, which is slightly different. Um, it was set up about six years ago by um, a lady and her friends, um, who are Christians, um, and they've, there's a volunteer team of about 35 people all together, um, and they've provided food for over 11,000 people. Um, and last year, they fed 3,300 people with over 40,000 items. Mm. And that was a 70% increase on the previous year. So that was last year. And it's, you know, as we hear all the time, it's, it's going up now. Um, sorry, I can't do this microphone oh, yeah, thing. Um, 
So it, it provides for gaps in benefit provision, um, which are created when people change circumstances and things like that. Sudden job losses, um, desertion by partners, um, breakups and things. Um, also debt, gambling, people that are released from prison, all sorts of times when people actually have nothing at all, absolutely nothing. And the other week we had... Um, Six guys come in, big guys walking in one after the other, and there's like four ladies, of which I'm the youngest, believe it or not. And we felt quite intimidated. And they'd just literally been released um, from prison, and because of some mess up in the system, had not a penny. And so they were directed by the um, probation service, I think, to came, come to us. And they were lovely. And one of the things we do is. Um, chat to people if if they want it. If they don't, then fine. They come in, we offer them a drink, biscuits, so on. They sit down. Um, we chat if they want. If not, we just leave them be. And actually, where it's appropriate and people think it's, you know, it might be a good thing, people offer to pray as well. And it's amazing, um, the people that will... You know, we'll be grateful for that. And one of these guys, a really big guy, you know, I saw him um, with a, a, a lady probably in her 70s, and he was just, like, so humble, head bent, you know, hands together, and she was just praying for him. And it was, mm. I thought, wow, that's really amazing. Um, <laughs> practical. Um, so for the food bank, there's no government aid at all, nothing. It's purely by donations, um, mainly by churches in the Oxford area who, who have collections, and sometimes by individuals who just turn up and say, we just, just want to help. Um, so the stuff we supply is um, non-perishable things, tins, packets, rice, pasta, all those kinds of things. And I have a list of the things that we specifically offer because um, we make up specific parcels for people when they come in, according to how many people it's for. I mean, we've had up to 10 people, a family of of 10, which you can imagine is quite a lot of tins and things. Um, People, we're only open twice a week for two hours. Um, Sometimes it is really busy. Um, You just don't stop. And unfortunately, people are only allowed to come three times within a year, and that's because we don't have the provisions for any more than that at the moment. And people have to be referred um, normally by um, social services or some other um, organisation. Um, and, and then we yeah, and then we provide for them. If people haven't got that or they come for a fourth time or something, we do try and do something. And the lady that's in charge really always tries to help um, if possible. But the idea is it is an emergency And we give them enough food for perhaps three or four days till hopefully the emergency is over. But, you know, often it isn't. Um, And I just... What what can we do? Sorry, just to say, what can we do? You're just about to say what you... That's fine. fine. Yeah, so I just feel like it's a chance to make a difference in our city. We're always talking about our city and our neighbours and our streets and our... um, so it's really, you know, it's really right here. Um, and what we can do is 
just when we go shopping, get an extra tin, an extra packet of something. As I say, I have a list of specific things, but we can all do that. There isn't anybody that can't, that can't manage that, I think. And it just makes such a difference. Um, and I'm, I'm there, so um, if we bring stuff in here, um, then I will take it myself. Or we could do it amongst missional communities, whatever's best. But um, also, you know, you just never know um, when it could happen to one of your, somebody you know, your next-door neighbour, friends, family. And I'm speaking from experience here. Um, and um, even us, even anybody that's here, you just don't know what's going to happen. That suddenly everything's cut off and you have nothing. So, yeah, just want to encourage you. So there's another way we can give. Thank you very much, Suzanne. That was great. Thank you. You may not be able to feed 5,000 with a couple of uh, fish and a few loaves, but maybe you can give what Suzanne was talking about. It's about giving our resources, giving what God's given to us. And as he said, Maybe just buying a few things extra when you're at the supermarket or whatever is possible for many of us. We've, we, Carol and I, have just been doing that a bit recently as well and just felt provoked by all that Suzanne's doing. So just encourage you uh, as provision of resource. There's one other thing which uh, I'd like to bring up because it's also timely uh, and I've got a bit of involvement in it and that's about adoption and fostering. So this is about giving of your family, in other words, opening your family up. And I just wanted to mention this. It's a little bit of an aside in some ways, but it's also part of God's heart in us giving. And so Carol and I have two adopted children. We've got a 16-year-old son, James, and a 7-year-old daughter, Sophie, who you may have seen sat next to me part of the time this morning, and many of you will know. Adoption is very close to God's heart. It's also Father's Day, so I thought I'd slip it in because there. Uh, but also because some things are going on. So in, in James chapter 1, just to mention about our prerogative as Christians to be open to this sort of area, relig- James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is looking after orphans and widows. And these people who we're talking about are orphans. I, like, I particularly like that smile. This comes from the front page uh, of a website to do with a, uh, a charity called Home for Good, which is a guy called Krish Kandaya, who lives just in Thames, so very close to Oxford, and has been in this church before, has been setting up and... Mike Gregg from the Wantage Church and I are going to meet with guys at the Evangelical Alliance on Monday, as in tomorrow, to talk about how we may be able to help them in setting this charity up. Things are taking off in this area in the UK in a rather unusual way. So I wanted just to bring this to you, partly to encourage anybody who might be interested in this. But also there's some things going on. So the churches together in Southampton went to their local authority and said... How can we help you and take and help you with this area of children who are, who need families? And they ended up getting together all the churches and saying to the council, 
We will offer every child that needs a foster placement, we will offer them a home within our churches. And they've ended up, they started by taking 40 children from across these churches. They're now up to 70. And they've got all the foster kids from that city and its area all looked after by families in churches supported by the churches around them as well. What an astonishing thing to do for a council to, to, to find that a group of people will take off their hands all of the foster, all of the children that need fostering. In York, and Stella Joe brought this to my attention, in York, there are some people who are also interested in the same thing. And they went to their church leaders, and the church leaders said, well, that's, that's interesting. But they didn't really particularly want to take that forward until they went to the county council and said, tell us the number one thing we can do to help you as churches. What can we do for you as a county council in your area? And they said, help us find families for children who need fostering and adoption. And so there's a meeting later on this week in York um, where they called it York 600. And the 600 kids across Yorkshire that they're looking at uh, who need foster care, they're going to try and get together and find homes for all of them. We might be in a place in this country where if we do this if everywhere, the churches end up looking after all the kids that need fostering and possibly all the kids that need adoption could go through our churches as well. That would be utterly transformational. What it must be like as leaders of a council to have all these children that need to be looked after and, and not enough people to do that. We could change that as churches. Um, I said this to Steve Jones a, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, why don't we do it then across Oxfordshire? Yay! <laughs> you know, we, we could do it across Oxfordshire. It would not be beyond our ability as a group of churches, of which Oxford Community Church is one, working with our family of churches across Oxfordshire and across this city, it's possible that we could do such a thing, and that would be a transformational thing. Suddenly, you move from the county council's peripheral group of people, possibly, to these are the guys with solutions for us. And if we're also providing education and other services for young people, whew, we could really change things. So I just wanted to mention that to keep you up to date about where things are going in this area, but also to say if you're prompted by this to actually do something. There are some in this church who are already involved in this, but it's a very exciting area to be involved in at the moment and very, very transformational for the lives of the young people like that little lovely girl. So I've talked about giving in terms of money. I've talked about giving in terms of resources, food and such like. I've just talked about giving in terms of opening up our families. What's God prompting you for? It might not be that you need to give more than you are giving. It might be that you, God's prompting you to change the things you're giving to or to give in a different sort of way. So I'm really encouraging you this morning just to ask God in your hearts as I'm talking, Lord, what do you want me to do? We don't want this reluctantly or under compulsion. We want this to be a sense of cheerful giving. But I'm encouraging you just to think about what that could look like. I wanted to give a little testimony, though, about some provision for me. Um, some of you will know that uh, 
Some of you, particularly on the leadership team of this church, whenever we've had leadership team meetings over the last couple of years, you've said to me, so how's it going with your job, Simon? Any news? Because for the last couple of years, I've been looking to change my job. And I'd mentioned it to people a couple of years ago. And what happens is every few weeks, everybody asks again and you go, oh, nothing's really happening. And you get kind of frustrated because you're not seeing a change. And then about a year ago, I felt God speak to me in a way that I wouldn't... I I knew it was him because it wouldn't be the sort of thing I'd say to myself, if you know what I mean. I'd been working in Swindon and he said stay working in Swindon because I'm going to bless you there. And I thought, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) So I knew that God was up to something, but I didn't know what it was. And I continued my job in Swindon. And actually, it had lots of challenges, but was quite fruitful as well over the last year, I would say. And then... Slowly and steadily, I've been getting a job in Oxford sorted out so that I don't have to travel to Swindon. I can be more at home. I can also be working with people who generally live in Oxford, which is quite quite good, uh, I think, because you can get to know people and and be amongst the community. Um, And then, unusually, just as I was getting the job in Oxford sorted out, my current employer, through a whole sequence of things, ended up deciding that they could make me redundant and pay me off from working for them. Which, given that I was about to leave anyway, was a quite remarkable thing. And I suddenly thought, oh, that's what working in Swindon for another year was all about, maybe, partly, you know. As well as what God does inside of you when you're waiting for him to do a breakthrough, which is he builds that patience and perseverance of character that we all need so that we have strength and faith in him (laughs) in the midst of still doing the thing that we think we're meant to be not doing anymore, if you see what I mean. (laughs) So these guys, so right now I'm, I'm on gardening leave from my job which is the most weird thing to have happen to you. Although I think people do get gardening leaves in other sorts of careers, mainly the finance sector where they don't want them to work for the competition and all that sort of thing. But I'm on gardening leave for a few months, so I'm being paid not to work. That's absolutely outrageous. And I just feel, I don't know, God's blessing on me in this. And I want to pray for some people after this because I want to be praying for God's blessing on on others, maybe for gardening leave or maybe for other things. (laughs) Um, So gardening leave is this term of they put you on gardening leave. So I have clipped a bit of a hedge. That's been the the amount of gardening I've done so far. But I have done some painting as well, so I've been doing some things. But I'm just in this remarkably weird position of not having to work for a few months. And then I was on the phone to my oldest friend, my oldest Christian friend who... Uh, lives up in York, uh, and he said to me, it's like the Jubilee, you know. And by Jubilee, I don't mean this sort of Jubilee. That was the Queen's Jubilee. Every 49 years, the people of Israel would have a Jubilee. That was seven seven times seven, so every seven years they'd have a Sabbath year, where there was a a kind of a natural break for them and a a, a sense of pause and rest. But then every 49 years, it was a Sabbath of Sabbaths. 
and it was the really big Sabbath. This is the 49th year of my life. So I am in my jubilee. Hooray! <laughs> and it's exactly that. It's just, so I, he said it to me. I just, I got knocked over in my spirit when he, when he said that to me. It was, just, it was just on his mobile phone driving across the Pennine saying it to me. And it's like, that's amazing, isn't it? God has brought me into a jubilee. And what's it about? It's about Sabbath rest. And that's what God's put me into, rest. I've had actually, some of you who know me will know Carol and I have had quite a difficult last 18 months or so. God's brought me into a Sabbath rest. Praise him. So I have the rest area. I've been directed off the motorway onto the rest area. The Sabbath was also, just for the people of God, a point at which they returned property. You, if, you, if you read about this, it's, it's an astonishing area. I could read it all out, but I don't think I want to because... I want to be praying a bit. But there was a sense in which at the, uh, every 49th year, which was probably once in someone's lifetime, all property returned to the original owner. And there was a sense that there was justice and there was equality that came out of this for the people of God. A really radical way of running your economy, not particularly suited to the capitalist democratic model that we currently operate. It'd be quite an interesting one to to do, suddenly do that. But it's part of God returning property to people. There's a sense of God blessing there. It was also a time of setting slaves free. So if you had got into poverty and sold yourself as a slave because that was the only way out of your poverty, you got set free on the Jubilee year. Praise God. So what I want to... Uh, give you is an opportunity to respond to God around some of these things. We talked about the giving thing a minute ago, but there's also the receiving of rest. I just feel God's touched my heart in these areas of rest and provision, so the property was about provision, and the freedom setting free the slaves. God's got something for some people here this morning. If you are in a situation where you don't feel you're at rest at the moment, where you're in a situation where the provision just isn't coming, where you're in a situation where maybe you don't, you feel like you've been trapped into the circumstances you're in. I just want to pray with you, because it may be that something that God's doing in me, he might want to do in you too, and I could pray with you, and others could pray with you here as well. Because God's doing something remarkable in me that I don't fully understand yet, but he wants to do it in each one of us. He wants to bring us into those blessings that are written up there of receiving from him I think I've probably said enough Keith I think we could pray and ask God to I will pray right now but if there are people here who you feel challenged about any of those areas of receiving we could have you perhaps if you would like to come up the front I would be willing to pray with you and others may well do as well Father God, we do thank you that you are the owner of everything, that all of the whole earth belongs to you, and that when you, Lord Jesus, were looking for provision, you were able to do anything from getting a coin out of a fish's mouth to making loaves and fish out of what you'd already got in front of you. We thank you that you are the great provider And we just want to acknowledge that for our lives this morning, that you are our provider. Even though we may get a cheque or a bank transfer from our employer, or we may have others who provide for us, 
You are our provider, Lord Jesus, and we, we thank you for that, that our lives are in your hands. And for those of us who have been challenged this morning about, well, am I just sitting back and not giving very much? Should I be giving more, or well, should I be giving differently? Am I, am I giving to the right things? I just pray that you would help us to hear you and what you want, not out of being forced or pressured, but out of a sense of what you're saying to each one of us this morning in this area. And for those who may, may be in need of rest or of provision or of freedom, we just pray for your blessing this morning on their lives. We pray and we just want to ask you for your breakthrough in people's lives, that there would be a change uh, and that they would see you breaking through in those areas, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.